I have entitled this particular sermon, The Beloved Son, but it doesn't really come into play until the end. Uh, we know Jesus is the beloved son, but it's really the culmination of, of this section. It's the bridge from this section to the next, to the next that Dave will be preaching on next week. But I, I wanted to ask, can you name the hymn? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Can anybody just yeah, shout it out? Come Thou Fount, all right? It was written by a guy by the name of Robert Robertson. I always struggle with, with the same root for both first and last name. I struggle, but, but here's Robert Robertson. He was a poor man, uh, born into a poor family. And, and, but through the process of time, he, was, he, was, uh, he lived in England, and he was, uh, as a young man, characterized uh, he was involved in a gang. Uh, he was uh, quite the individual for sure. But later in his life, he, he penned these words, and I quote these words all the time because these words kind of reveal an aspect of my heart. Lord, I'm prone to wonder. I, I can feel it. I, I'm prone to leave the God I love. And, and so this is, this is words of a believer. This is someone who understands who Jesus is and, and the change that has been wrought in their life. And he says, I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So he, w- he came to faith under the preaching of George Whitfield when he was preaching, when, when George was preaching John 3, 1 through 17. I did not know this. I had already started. This is a, a God thing, right? I had already started the preparation for the sermon. I had already picked the prone to wander. Uh, Lord, I feel I had already picked that hymn before I realized that Robert Robertson came to faith under the preaching of George Whitfield when George Whitfield was preaching this very text. I don't know about you, but I'm like, nice segue into the sermon. All right, this is a good. This is George Whitfield, part of the Great Awakening. He's preaching the gospel. I read this sermon. I, I went, I, once I realized it was from the text, I read the sermon, and I was like, what was George Whitfield uh, preaching? What was it that he was focusing on? And he focused on verse 7. I'm not going to preach his sermon to you, but it said, uh, verse 7 says, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? The Great Awakening, of which, by the way, I'm praying for a third Great Awakening. Now, the Great Awakenings are, are historic events where, where not just local towns, but really nations and people within nations were, were turning to the Lord and, and recognizing that we have, we have ostracized God and now it's time to bring Him back into our community. It's time to recognize His role in the world. And, and we might think that we are beyond a third great awakening. But if Jesus does not return, I find myself wondering, can it get much worse? And I'm sure it can. But I'm praying, Lord, if you're, going to, if you're not going to return in, in the near future, would you cause there to be another great awakening where the world understands who you are and why you sent your son into this world? Are we people of faith that can pray a prayer that says, God, make yourself known globally? I hope we are. Because when George Whitfield preached this sermon, and I encourage you to go find it online and, and read it, and hear his heartbeat for the people he was preaching to. 
his focus was not on who warned you to flee. Speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees that we'll see in the text, and we've already read it already uh, today, but I'll say his emphasis wasn't on the, the brood of vipers. His emphasis was on the people hearing God's word, and he's saying, would you flee to Christ? Would you flee to the answer for all your ills, for all your concerns, for all your whatever is going, in, going on in your life? Flee from the wrath to come. And this is the one aspect of this particular passage that Woodfield picked up on that I won't necessarily emphasize in great uh, from this point forward. And I, I kind of emphasize it in the, in the teenage Sunday school class, right? So teenagers, you know, you, you got a little bit more of this than maybe what I'll share here. But it's the idea of wrath is coming. Those who are in Christ, there is no wrath for them. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But for those who are outside of the body of Christ that have not come to genuine faith in, in who Jesus is and what he has done, there is wrath coming. And it's eternal. And it's unquenchable. And it's horrific. And if you count yourself among believers today, if you call yourself a Christian, and you're counting on the fact that you are not going to experience this wrath, I would say take comfort and confidence in that. But would you also, as well as would I also have compassion on those who are heading in this direction? That was Whitfield's passion as he preached this message. Flee from the wrath. Flee to Christ. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ, and you might not even know what I mean by those words, I encourage you, don't Leave here today without pouring out your confession of your sins, without receiving the grace of God into your life, because that's why Jesus came, to redeem you. There are many in this room that would say, I am a, I am a redeemed person. I have stepped from death to life. And for that we can rejoice, but there are so many who are still yet destined for wrath. Robertson had been a religious, violent young, violent young man, but God's word broke through, and he came to faith in Jesus. That's his testimony. That's my testimony, maybe not the violent part, but I was definitely the rebellious. But God's word broke through. If you are wondering who Jesus is, uh, if you are wondering how to know how to have a relationship with him, become a student of his word. Pray, Lord, reveal yourself to me as you have given me your revelation. Would you please help me understand and read Scripture, read the Bible, study the Gospels, and learn who Jesus is because it breaks through all of life's stuff so that you can know Jesus. He repented from his sin and was able to put in words what every Christian experiences. So here's some of the lyrics of, of Come Thou Fount. He says, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. Uh, it's my testimony. Is it yours? Right? I was a religious young person, but I was, I was, Jesus found me. I didn't find Jesus. 
He found me. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. It's only through the blood of Christ that we have remission of sins. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, like handcuffs, bind my wandering heart to thee. We are a debtor to grace and grace alone. It's, a debtor to, it's God's grace. It's no, through merit, no merit of our own. We can't say that we've earned salvation. We can't say that we would live such a purposely uh, good life that God will be pleased and he'll give us salvation. It's all of grace, God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but God gives eternal life to those who repent from their sins, confess faith in Jesus Christ, and receive him as Lord and Savior. And we encourage you, you can do that at any time once you recognize in genuine faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for your sins. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. This was Robert Robertson's passion. He's saying, listen, I'm prone to wander, but Lord, here's my heart. I'm prone to go this way, but would you bring me this way? So what is the solution for our wandering? If we're prone to do the very thing that this hymn sings about, of which I identify with, and I'm assuming many of you do as well, what is the solution for our wandering? And it's one word, and it's the word we're going to focus on for the rest of our time today. It's the word repentance. A few months ago, maybe a month and a half ago, uh, I made a comment. I was crying when I said it, and I won't cry today, but I will say, I feel as if God is working in my life to lead this church in the direction of repentance, both individually and corporately. So when you hear this word repentance, you have an understanding of what that word means more than likely. And I'm hoping as we go through the text today, maybe we'll shed some light on that and your understanding of some things. But I believe we are always in need of pursuing repentance. What does true repentance look like? I believe true repentance pursues the kingdom of God. If we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one I love, if we're prone to go this way, then true repentance, which is this idea of turning, yes, right? We'll talk a little bit more of that in a minute. But listen, true repentance pursues the kingdom of God. That's not terminology we talk about. We don't talk this way in 21st century world. I am going to pursue the kingdom of God. But we ought to. Why? Because as we get into the text of, of chapter 3, it says, In those days, John the Baptist, by the way, John, uh, the, uh, Matthew does not introduce John. He just kind of puts his name out there, assuming everybody who's reading it knows who he is. All right? So I'm going to do the same. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about John the Baptist. Obviously, where the text touches on it, we'll touch on it. But he says, In those days, John the Baptist, who was well known, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, the southern portion of Israel, and saying, Repent. There's that word. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You may have the picture of Ricky and the rat moving around. You may have, and, and that's fine for the, I'm telling you, it is, it is burned into my head, right? Ricky the rat, repent and turning. It's very helpful, visual. But I want to go a step further today. Because when we hear the word repent, and, and I don't know what your experience might be with this word, 
But I think uh, a lot of times when we hear the word repent, we think the word stop. Right? Repent. Stop. You might think the word turn. So it's, it's stop and turn. And, and, and part of that is right. Uh, but it means so much more. As we hear this word repent, I want you to have this picture in your head. It's stop the sin that you're involved in. It's turn to God. Turn away. Stop wandering. Turn to God. But don't just turn. Don't just stand there. We're called to move. We're called to pursue the kingdom of God. That's, that's, that's what he says. He says repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it talks about kingdom of God. Uh, the, the emphasis here of kingdom of heaven is, is probably because uh, uh, Matthew's primarily speaking to a Jewish group of people. And, and they didn't use the word God very often, the name God very often. It was sacred to them. They didn't want to profane it in any way in violation of the, of the commandments. So uh, Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven, which is the same thing as the kingdom of God. There's only one kingdom. And there's only one king that rules over all things. And we are engaged in his story as we study the gospel of Matthew. But Matt, uh, John the Baptist has a sing. Listen, if it was this easy, we'd be out of here in five minutes every week. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See you next week. Next week we come together, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Because if you think about all the aspects of Scripture, as, as you think about all the lessons, all the truth that's conveyed in there, it's, it's trying to correct the wandering heart. It's trying to reorient the wandering heart to a heart that's pursuing God. And I don't think there's a single person in this room that does not need to have their life reoriented to the kingdom of God on a regular basis. Now, we, we talk about repentance from the standpoint of, uh, of, gen, of first, the first-time faith in Christ, our, our initial coming to faith of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done, where we, we would say that person is born again. We'd say that person is saved. That person has had their sins forgiven. But listen, this idea of repent does not stop once you get saved. This ought to be a regular practice. If you think about the nation of Israel, who did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them like the church does, but if you think about the nation of Israel and how often they were called to repent, if you think about the times where the, the, the temple was dedicated or rededicated or there was a time of, 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 uh, of, a, of a mass meeting uh, uh, where God's word was read, and, and as the word of God was read, people realized their sin, and they repented, and they, they basically said, God, we're going to pursue your kingdom. It happens throughout Scripture, but certainly in the 21st century, for the people of God who are possessed by the Spirit of God, when we are prone to wander, we ought to repent. We ought to pursue God's kingdom. We get a little bit more information about John the Baptist. Uh, for this is he who has spoken to the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. I'm not, I didn't highlight anything on this particular text because I want you to see this is talking about John the Baptist. For the religious people, for the, excuse me, the, the Jewish people of, of Matthew's day, who he's primarily writing to, they, this, is, this is recent history. They know who John the Baptist is, but they, they are realizing that, the, that his coming was prophesied. It was prophesied by Isaiah that there would be this voice crying out in the wilderness. If that doesn't characterize John the Baptist, nothing does because he was out in the wilderness of Judea. Yes, there was water there because the, the, the river was there. The river Jordan was there and he was baptizing people, but he was, he was uh, crying, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. We, he is calling people to repentance. How do we know that? Because the rest of the context of John's ministry was all about repentance. So he was prophesied that, that he was going to come. He was dressed like Isaiah. Isaiah is believed to have been similar uh, to, to what John, you know, the leather belt, the, 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 the uh, camel's hair, uh, uh, eating, eating such a way. He, was, he dressed like a prophet. He preached like a prophet. He acted like a prophet. He's the last Old Testament prophet. What did Old Testament prophets do? Primarily, they said, thus saith the Lord, and primarily, they called the people to repentance. Go read the minor prophets. Certainly the major prophets as well, but the minor prophets are all about calling people to repentance. So true repentance pursues the kingdom of God, and it requires us to practice confession of sin. I don't, how often do we do this? We're encouraged in Scripture to you know, confess your sins one to another, I think, I think part of that is when I've sinned against you, I'm, I'm to confess that to you, and, and then forgiveness is the response to that. I think it's part of that, confessing sins to one another. I also think it might be confessing my sins to, to a, 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 a maybe a few individuals and saying, pray for me. I'm struggling this area of my life. Would you pray for me? And, and as, they, as they come together, we're, we're supposed to be characterized by confession of sin. It's what Christians are supposed to do. So if we're going to have true repentance, when I say true, that's just it. We're not looking for a, a false repentance, a, a, um, some sort of outward sign of repentance without the inward reality. That's not, that's not what God's about. And maybe you've been guilty of that as I have been guilty of that in the past, where I would profess uh, my sorrow, but I didn't really mean it. As a young boy, I would, go to, I would go to church and I would confess my sins to an individual and I'd turn around, around and go do the same things all over again and say, well, I'm good till the next time. I remember one time I called my brother a name. Uh, it was probably profane back in that day, probably like 1978, all right? Uh, it was probably profane. I won't use the word, uh, but I th- I've heard it plenty of times and it's not necessarily so profane today. But I called my brother this name, and he just stopped dead in his tracks. I, I, we were standing right outside 44 Russell Avenue at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. And I was angry, and I yelled at my brother who's five years older than me. I yelled at his name. And he was like, you know you're going to have to confess that when you go to confession. I never forgot that moment in my life. I'm like, oh. But then I realized, yeah, but then it's all done, right? Well, that wasn't the right heartbeat. Because I, I was going to say the words but not really mean it. And so when we talk about true repentance, folks, we're talking about repentance of the heart. 
We're talking about what George Whitfield was preaching about, what, what Robert Robertson, Robinson is, is, is writing about. And so as we pursue the kingdom of God, we are supposed to practice confession of sin. Look, look what it says here. John is preaching out in the wilderness. It says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. He was a spectacle without a doubt. But notice, he's more than a spectacle. And were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Most people want to put an emphasis on the baptizing, which I don't necessarily have an issue with, depending on what you're talking about. But as we're looking at this text of Scripture, confessing their sins is, ex- is exposing the purpose of their baptism. Their baptism was a physical sign of the inward heart of confession of sin that's already taken place. John's baptism was a baptism of confessing sin. It was... It was There was people coming from all Jerusalem, the city. Remember, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world is is the Great Commission. But here we see that it was Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan. They went out to see John, but they didn't just go out to see him. They responded to, to God's word. Repent. And they said, okay. We agree. We've wandered. It's time to repent. So they were baptized, giving profession of their confession of sin. They were dealing with the confession of their own sin, and they were representing that confession by being baptized by John. It was similar to the, the, the baptism that we practice today, but not the same. So the message of John the Baptist is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Those same words are going to be spoken by Jesus in chapter, later in chapter 4. After Dave's done preaching next week, the next time I'm up here, we'll, gather, we'll, we'll hear Jesus say those words, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But if we're going to, as we said, if we're, the repentance pursue, if we're going to pursue the kingdom of God, we are supposed to practice the confession of sin. And I don't know how often we do that. We, we don't do it corporately. Can, can I get an amen to that? We don't do this corporately. It's uncomfortable. I've never asked for an amen before, but I just got one. How would you know? Confession of sin. Can we pause for a moment and pray and ask God that he would give us the strength to confess our sin? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this truth that if we're going to reorient our lives, if we're going to pursue the kingdom of God, then we are called to confess our sins. So, Father, individually, even now, as we, as we sit or stand in this room, or as we are engaging in this sermon online, I pray, Lord, that you would enable your Holy Spirit, that you would empower the Spirit to reveal to us the sins in singularly or sins, plural, that, that we are guilty of, that we have been practicing, that we have not confessed. We have not given, given an audible declaration that we are guilty of violating your standard. Father, for those of us that have been believers for many years, we sometimes may become, become complacent and think that, well, I'm good. I mean, it's just a little sin. And, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's covered under the blood of Jesus. Father, may we never do that. 
may we recognize that every sin, whether, whether it's committed before we come to faith or after we come to faith, sin is sin. And dare we assume that, that Christ's blood or presume upon the blood of Christ to, to forgive it without pausing for a moment and recognizing the severity of what it is we're talking about. Jesus Christ died so that my sins could be atoned for. Your grace has been bestowed upon me so that I, I have professed Christ. And I have purpose to live for Christ. And Father, we have purpose individually to, to do just that. But Lord, maybe there's unrepentant sin in this room. Unconfessed, unrepentant. Father, I pray that you'd work in hearts today. Maybe there are people in this room guilty of severe sin. And as they sit here and as we're talking this, you're, on, you're unveiling their hearts. They know as a believer in Jesus Christ, they have wandered far, far from you. There is no need to put a name to that sin because if it's present in a believer's life, we believe you'll call it to our attention. So, Father, I pray that you would expose the sin, not publicly, Lord, privately, even now, in the minds and hearts of everyone in this room and online. And then, Father, when you bring that to the forefront, I pray that they would confess it to you. They would confess it. It's true, Lord. I am in agreement with you that my sin is vile, that my sin is an offense to you and, and to those around me, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe to my neighbors who do not know Christ. My sin is a violation of what it is that you would have for my life. Father, forgive us of our sins individually. Father, may we be a church that is characterized by corporate confession of sin. Never prayed a prayer like this before. How do we confess corporately? Father, we may have pride as a church. We may have ignorance as a church. We may have idols as a church. And we may be blind to them. And we pray, Father, that you would expose whatever it is that's in our corporate body. We pray that you'd expose our sin and you'd forgive us of our sin. Because we want to pursue you. And we can't pursue you until we confess it. Whatever it is, Father, we trust that you will expose it, that we will confess it, and that you will forgive. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
So it requires us to practice the confession of sin. Uh, so they went out and they were confessing. They were confessing on a regular basis. You know, they, they were coming. We know, we picture droves of people coming out to see John the Baptist and he's baptizing them and, and there's all kinds of confession. But then we see something de- develops and we see that the re- rep- repentance and confession result in the production of recognizable fruit. We just prayed a prayer of confession, folks, individually and corporately. And I pray that you were praying those with you. Should we not expect God to act? If we are going to repent and confess, we ought to see fruit of that. The example we're giving is a negative example. It says, but in verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? These are the verses that, that, the verse that, that George Whitfield was focused on. He said, Brood of vipers, baby of vipers, babies of the serpent. First John, they're either children of Satan or children of God. They, they, these people come out. These are the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders. They come out, and he, he doesn't waste any time. And he says, who warned you? Now, we don't know exactly what was going on. There may have been some out there who were genuinely seeking repentance. But, uh, but I think we get the, the gist of it. Not all of them were. And so they were characterized by coming out, and they weren't characterized by genuine repentance. They were characterized by curiosity. They were, uh, they were characterized by uh, selfish motives. He says in verse 8, to these people, therefore, if, listen, if you're going to come out here and you're going to confess and be baptized, well, then bear fruits worthy of repentance. There is fruit that should be characteristic of all of us who genuinely desire to pursue God's righteousness and his kingdom. There ought to be genuine fruit when we confess. The, the confession of sin is, is, the, the, is one element of the repentance of sin. And, and so when we say confess, we're saying confess the sin is the process of turning, and then we're pursuing. And he says, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. But he knows that these Sadducees and Pharisees are not always there for the, the best motives. And he says, do not, he, he unveils their heart as only the Spirit of God can through God's preachers, right? Do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. That's a miraculous thought. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John is not mincing words. He's, 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 he's going right for the heart. Listen, if you're going to come out and you're going to participate in the outward religious act of confession and baptism, you ought to be able to bear fruit that demonstrates it. And so that's what we're saying here. We're saying repentance and confession result in the production of recognizable fruit, not just fruit, but recognizable fruit. It ought to be seen in your life. It ought to be seen by others in your life. What is that sin that you may have just prayed repentance for? Maybe you just confessed to God and, 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 and committed to God that you're going to repent of it. What, what is that thing? Because if you are going to actually repent of it, there's going to be fruit that's recognizable in your life. One, the power of God will allow you to overcome that sin. 
to those that are seeing you habitually commit that sin, if it's a public sin, will see you not doing it anymore. And therefore, we see the Holy Spirit working in us and through us into the lives of others. That's what true repentance means when we're pursuing the kingdom of God. We repent and confess so that we can see fruit and others can see fruit. It's also uh, repentance and confession is the precursor to salvation and Christian growth. This is that emphasis that I was already mentioned, but it's, here it is in the text, I think. It's the idea that, that this repentance and confession, or confession and repentance, maybe I have them backwards, it's a precursor. It comes before something. It comes before salvation for those, for anyone in this room that has never come to faith in Jesus Christ. You are You are dead. You are, as George Whitfield would say, you have been warned about the wrath to come flee to Jesus. When you get into Romans chapter 2, it says there, no one has an excuse for not coming to faith in God. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. As we studied in the, in the Gospel of John this morning in, in Sunday school class, you know, he who is, uh, has faith in Jesus is not condemned, but he who does not have faith in Jesus is condemned already. Scripture is through and through pointing to the fact that we are sinners and we are in need of salvation. We are in need of, of forgiveness. And so repentance and confession, confession and repentance, it's the precursor to salvation. You want to get saved? Confess your sin to God. Repent from it. Stop doing it. Turn to God and pursue Him. You get saved no other way. If you just stop your sin, it's not enough. If you just turn to God, I did it for most of my young life. It's only when you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He died for you. He died for me. And I cannot tell you, I mean, I love George Whitfield's sermon because the passion and the compassion that were present because there are people all around us that are going to hell. And we ought not to be happy about that. And if you're on your way to hell, stop, turn, pursue God. Because He will give you salvation. He will save you from your sins because Jesus Christ, through his death, he's the sinless substitute that hung on that cross. He died in your place, and therefore God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon everyone who's come to faith in him because Jesus has taken the filthiness of their sins. It was laid upon him on the cross, and God has forgiven it all. And there's no sin you have committed that cannot be forgiven in Christ. So repentance and confession, it's a precursor to salvation, but it's also a precursor to our Christian growth. Are you a Christian that just can't seem to live for Christ? 
Are you a Christian? And you're like, yeah, been there, done that. It really, really feels like it's working. Are you overwhelmed by anxiety? Are you, are you overcome by stress? Are you, are you pursuing the things of this world and you're wondering why you don't have any fruit? You're wondering why God is not experiencing the peace that transcends understanding? Well, maybe it's because you have stopped the confession and repentance of sin. You want to grow in Christ? Confess your sin. Repent of it. Pursue God and you will grow. Matthew says, I indeed baptize you. This is John the Baptist saying, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. This is an amazing statement. If you were in that culture that time, the lowest of of slaves were the ones who carried the sandals, the dirty, nasty, sweaty, dust-covered, you know, sandals. And John is saying, I'm not even worthy to carry them. For Jesus. He doesn't, doesn't necessarily know it's Jesus at this point, right? But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's a difference between John the Baptist and Jesus. They're preaching the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But I come and I give you, I, I, I baptize you with water. He's coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And there's a lot of discussion about what the fire means. And I'm not going to get into it today. You can study that on your own. Is it the Holy Spirit? It, the, there's, they're combined. You cannot, you cannot separate Holy Spirit and fire, folks. You can't. They go together. But there is this aspect of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we are immersed. That's the word of what baptism means. We are immersed in the Spirit when we come to faith. He indwells us as he dwelled in the temple and the tabernacle. There is, there is a filling of the Holy Spirit. And there's a there, fire. It may be a refining fire that will burn away, that when, when Jesus Christ returns and sin is dealt with forever and there's a new heavens and a new earth, it's all gone through the experience of the refining fire. is purified. We see that is the difference between Jesus and John the Baptist. But in verse 12 he says, this is speaking about Jesus in a future coming. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. Now, I want, you, I want to bring you back to John 3.17. John 3.17 says, I didn't come to condemn the world. God didn't send me here for that. I came to save the world, right? But here we see this future time when Jesus returns, and we're talking about the wrath of God. We're talking about judgment. He says that, that Jesus, winnowing, with a winnowing fan in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. There will only not be one kernel left unaccounted for. There will not be one aspect of chaff that, will, that is not accounted for. He will gather the wheat, those are the believers in Jesus Christ, into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There is the judgment of God that is ready to be bestowed upon anyone who does not know Christ. And if Jesus Christ comes back in the next second, that is their future. There is an urgency to this text and there's an urgency to this sermon. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Because if you're not, Jesus Christ comes now. You spend eternity in hell. I have no desire to scare someone into, into, into heaven, right? 
I have no desire to, to get you to respond to the ugliness of hell and the, and the torment of hell and say, oh, I'll accept Jesus. Uh, Jesus, I accept you. Without a clear understanding of what acceptance of Jesus is all about. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is Son of God. He is the propitiation of all sin. He is the one who satisfies God, it satisfies God's demands. You need to come to faith in Him. All of Him and all that He taught because that's how you become the wheat and not the chaff. The chaff will be burned in unquenchable fire. So true repentance pursues the kingdom of God. But Jesus, the beloved Son of God, shows us the way to true repentance. I'm going to, we're, we're getting ready to close. And uh, we're going to deal with the baptism of Jesus. There is so much here. This is, a, this is a, a, a huge aspect of the ministry of Jesus. It's his inauguration onto the scene. He has been this recluse. He's been this person that is, that is off in, in the Galilee area. And now he comes on the scene. And from this point forward, everyone gets to know who Jesus is. But Jesus is the beloved son. And he shows us the way of true repentance. What is true repentance? True repentance pursues the kingdom of God. Let me just say it. Jesus is not guilty of sin, so he's not repenting from sin. He's pursuing the kingdom of God. He's saying this is what it looks like when you stop and you turn and you pursue. Pursue like I'm pursuing. Jesus came from Galilee to John of the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John said, this is crazy. No, he says, John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me through the Holy Spirit? Uh, a revelation was given to John that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 15, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. This is the baptism of Jesus. And, and he goes on and, and it says, when he had been baptized, he came up immediately from the water. And that we, 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 we can picture this in our mind. And behold, the heavens were opened and he saw, speaking of Jesus, but the Gospel of John says John the Baptist also saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. He was, he was confirming. God, was, the God the Father was confirming, this is my Son. And he says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. My Son is the pursuer of me. He is purposed in his earthly life to pursue God. He is the king in his kingdom, but it's not the fullness of the kingdom yet. That comes at his second coming. So what we see at Jesus' baptism are just a few things. One, it's an act of obedience to the Father. We are to be characterized by a life of obedience as Jesus is. He's, he's not just the example, but he is an example. He's more than an example. But certainly, we, our life of pursuing God is supposed to be characterized by acts of obedience to the Father. Jesus' baptism identifies him with the sinners he will redeem. Think about it. God became man and dwelt among us. The light of God came and, and darkness did not comprehend it, John 1. Jesus is not only identified as a human baby in, in a manger, he's identified as a human man being baptized. But he's being baptized, thirdly, as a foreshadowing of the death that he's going to experience. What is an amazing picture for Jesus Christ to stand in that water and to be buried under the likeness of death and raised 
bringing newness of life. What a picture. Jesus' baptism is the occasion for the Father to declare his approval of the Son. From this point forward, there is a focus on Jesus and the Father. And we will see that as we continue to go through. Even in the next passage, what Dave's going to deal with, with its temptations, we see Jesus and the Father. True repentance pursues the kingdom of God. That's what true repentance is. It practices confession of sin, which produces recognizable fruit and is the precursor to salvation and Christian growth. That's what I've been talking about. And Jesus, the beloved Son of God, shows us the way to true repentance. Remember, I started today's sermon telling you about um, Robert Robinson and his writing of this hymn. And prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And, and, and there, in the beginning of the first verse, and I f- forgot to put it on a slide, so I, I took a screenshot of it. Uh, it says, Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Before we sing a song, and we're getting ready to sing a song. Before we sing a song of loudest praise to God, let me tell you about the rest of Robert Robinson's life. He died in, I think it was 1790, under all kinds of concern about did he become a Unitarian because he was hanging around with some Unitarians prior to his death? Was he trying to be a witness to them? We don't know all the details, but there's a story, and I I checked it as best I could to make sure it's true. And I hope it's true because it's a good story. Robert Robinson, who who penned these words that have encouraged so many people in their faith, walked away from from a relationship with Jesus Christ, a fellowship with Jesus Christ. He walked away. He pursued the world. He, he, he is not living the Christian life. He has is, he is not repented. He has, he has become a person, that uh, the prodigal son that had not yet returned yet. And one day in the sovereignty of God and the power of God and the providence of God, he's on a stagecoach ride with a young lady. And this young lady is humming a tune. And she says the words, Come thou fount of every breath blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call of songs, call for songs of loudest praise. And, and she's like, Sir, what do you think about this song that I'm singing? And he said, Wretched man that I am, I'm paraphrasing, wretched man that I am. I'm the one who wrote that song. And I would give worlds if I owned them, to feel the way I felt when I penned those words. He had wandered far. And the young lady said, Sir, the streams of mercy never ceasing are still flowing. If you're a believer here today and you're caught up in sin, there's only one place to turn. And my prayer prayer is that you'll do it today. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, there are streams of mercy that will never cease that are available for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love.
And so, Father, as we conclude our time today in preparation of singing a song that will praise you, Lord, we just want to pause for a moment and say, would you call all those who have wandered back to you? Will you show them the clear path of confession and repentance? Will you empower them to know your power in their life? Will you give them the confidence of knowing that even when they sin, they can turn to you? You are the loving father of the prodigal son. And at times, we are all prodigals. Thank you, Father, that you are ever looking, waiting for us to come and turn and head in your direction, and we know you meet us there. Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone who is repenting and confessing even now. Father, I pray for new faith today. I pray if anyone needs to know Christ, they would, they would come to that faith today while it is still today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.